0: The story is told of a man in war, and in the heat of the battle he was shot in the chest. By a miracle he was spared being killed. As he was taken back to the safety of the nearby camp, he was examined, and he had a small copy of the Book of Mormon he had been carrying in his uniform. They opened the book, and the bullet had penetrated only into about the middle of Second Nephi, right in the heart of the Isaiah chapters. It was said that even a speeding bullet couldn't get through Isaiah. Well, (laughs) let's try to prove that wrong today. Let's have some fun studying these seemingly difficult chapters together.
1: Welcome to Meridian Magazine's Come Follow Me podcast. This is Scott and Maureen Proctor, and we're thrilled to be with you, our dear friends around the United States and the world, and study together these most important chapters. We get so many notes and letters and emails about the podcast. I wish we could talk personally to each one of you. But how about let's just think of this time as if it was just Scott and me and you. We're all just gathered together in your home studying these marvelous scriptures.
0: We know that many of you are listening to this as a family. We admire you so much, especially when you teenagers and even primary age children are gathered with your parents for Come Follow Me. We are so proud of you young people following the prophet. You are laying a wonderful foundation for your life by so diligently studying the scriptures. And thank you for your support during our 25th anniversary voluntary subscription drive. Many of you have responded, and we need many more. To support Meridian Magazine and this ongoing podcast, go to latterdaystmag.com, forward slash subscribe. That's LatterdaySaintMag.com forward slash subscribe. Or you can send a check to Meridian Magazine, P.O. Box 203, American Fork, Utah 84003. We truly need your support and thank you for those who have responded.
1: Now, let's dive right into these amazing chapters, but let's don't miss a very significant statement that Nephi makes in 2 Nephi chapter 11. He carefully sets forth the law of witnesses, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses will all my words be established. Look how he does this. This is verse 2. And now I, Nephi, write more of the words of Isaiah, for my soul delighteth in his words, for I will liken his words unto my people, and I will send them forth unto all my children, for he verily saw my Redeemer, even as I have seen him. And my brother Jacob also has seen him, as I have seen him. Wherefore I will send their words forth unto my children to prove unto them that my words are true." Wherefore, by the words of three, God hath said, I will establish my word. Then I love what he says at the end of this verse. Nevertheless, God sendeth more witnesses, and he proveth all his words.
0: So we have these three witnesses of the Savior in place, Isaiah, Nephi, and Jacob. And who are some of those other witnesses? Most importantly, we receive the witness of the Holy Ghost that bears record of all truth. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things, says Moroni. I love what Lorenzo Snow said about this. This is the grand privilege of every Latter-day Saint, that it is our right to have the manifestations of the Spirit every day of our lives. Doesn't that make us want to live to have the companionship and the whisperings of the Spirit daily in our lives?
1: And of course we have the witness of Joseph Smith, the head of this dispensation. We have the witnesses of prophets and apostles who have walked and talked with the Savior and truly know Him. We are able to experience the testimonies of our peers as they witness to us each month in fast and testimony meetings. And we can be witnesses to each other in our homes, husband and wife to each other, parents to children, children to parents. I don't think we do that enough. When was the last time you as a wife bore your testimony and witness of the Savior to your husband, or vice versa? Some of the sweetest moments of our marriage have been sharing our witnesses, testimonies and gratitude for the Lord's work and blessings with each other.
0: I completely agree. And Maureen, before we start specifically talking about Isaiah, I want to just point out Nephi's love and enthusiasm for the Lord. My soul delighteth in the covenants of the Lord which he hath made to our fathers. That makes me want to ask, do we delight in his covenants? Yea, my soul delighteth in his grace and mercy in the great and eternal plan of deliverance from death. I hope that we too have moments like this in our lives where we rejoice and just glory in the Lord, that we delight in His overwhelming gifts to us. It makes me happy just to think about all this.
1: Now I have noticed over the years, as I'm sure you all have, that when we get to the edge of this section of 2 Nephi, which has been fallaciously labeled sometimes the sandbars of Isaiah, many don't even know where to start in their thinking. Some of my students have just said, I just read it to get through it, and then I go on with the things I can understand. Others have said, I don't have a clue what Isaiah is saying. Let's look at some simple things to start with. First of all, there are 1,313 verses that comprise the 66 chapters of Isaiah in the Old Testament, and a full 433 of those verses have been included in the Book of Mormon text. That's nearly one-third of all of Isaiah.
0: There is a message right there. Remember what Nephi said early on? I do not write anything upon plates, save it be that I think it be sacred. Nephi obviously feels very strongly that Isaiah's words are sacred and extremely important for our time. And Jesus himself, when he visited the Nephites, said, And now, behold, I say unto you, that ye ought to search these things. Yea, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently. For great are the words of Isaiah. There is the law of witnesses yet again. The Savior actually gave us a commandment to search the words of Isaiah.
1: Elder McConkie called Isaiah the prototype, pattern, and model for all the prophets. Make no mistake, Isaiah is a witness of the promised Messiah all through his writings. Oh, and I think it's interesting that in all the discoveries of the Dead Sea Scrolls at Qumran in Israel, they found nineteen copies of the book of Isaiah, some of them completely intact with all sixty-six chapters. Isaiah was very important to this group. Nephi preserves the words of Isaiah. The Lord commands us to study the words of Isaiah. Moroni says to search the prophecies of Isaiah the faithful of Qumran copied and wrote the words of Isaiah multiple times to show their regard for his words. So
0: here's a little key for us to start with, to understand Isaiah in our day. And the key is right from Nephi himself. Hearken, O my people, which are of the house of Israel, that's us, are you listening? And give ear unto my words. For because the words of Isaiah are not plain unto you, Nevertheless, they are plain unto all those that are filled with the spirit of prophecy. To begin your studies of Isaiah, then, pray for the spirit of prophecy to be given to you. Have you ever prayed for the spirit of prophecy in your personal, couple, or family prayers? President Nelson is encouraging us to stretch beyond our current spiritual ability to receive personal revelation. So again, let's not be lazy, let's do what the prophet is asking us to do and what Nephi is encouraging us to do, pray for the spirit of prophecy. This will help us begin to understand his words.
1: To read Isaiah, it helps to understand that you shouldn't try to read it chronologically, as if it were a chronological story. It's not meant to be read as a story taking place over time. It's also important to note that the prophecies and conditions of the world may be described with ancient place names or peoples, but they apply equally to us. That's these, right. Yeah, That's these right. are prophecies that go over time, multiple fulfillments. Absolutely. Now I have to say also that our dear friends, Don and Jay Perry, and Tina Peterson, have truly helped us to wrap our minds around Isaiah and understand his words and his manner of prophesying and his context and transcendent prophecies. They wrote a book more than 20 years ago called Understanding Isaiah that has been a wonderful aid to our studies. We trust them so much and we love their book. They have a summary of each of the 66 chapters of Isaiah in their book, and Scott and I have actually copied each of these brief summaries and placed them at the beginning of each of our Isaiah chapters, both in the Book of Mormon and in the Old Testament in our electronic copy of the scriptures. Yes, we've done that for all 66 chapters in the Old Testament. You just put it in as a note and for all the Isaiah chapters in the Book of Mormon. That little preview of the coming chapter helps us look for the very thing that is going to be talked about.
0: Let me give you an example with what we're looking at in this lesson. Here's the chapter summary from 2 Nephi chapter 12, which is the same as Isaiah chapter 2. Again, this is from the book, Understanding Isaiah. Isaiah speaks directly to us. Many of us are personally blessed to see the fulfillment of this prophecy as we enter the Lord's temples and are taught therein of His ways and walk in His paths. Isaiah's prophecy of the mountain of the Lord is fulfilled as we build temples throughout the world. Then they continue. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 10 through 22 is one of the greatest prophecies recorded in the standard works of Christ's second coming and His judgments on the proud. Perhaps we or our children or grandchildren may witness these events as Jesus Christ comes again to the earth, this time with great power and glory. Now, doesn't that give us some things to think about just in Second Nephi chapter 12, especially when we get into the last part of the chapter, let's be looking for prophetic language of the coming of Jesus Christ.
1: Our friend Don Perry is the world expert on the Isaiah text of the Dead Sea Scrolls. He eats, drinks, and sleeps Isaiah. He used to come to our house and personally teach us and about 50 of our friends and honors Old Testament class. And he taught us Hebrew as well on the side. That was an amazing privilege. It was so wonderful. Let's look at 2 Nephi 12. We're all familiar with these great prophecies. And they are very specifically last days prophecies. Verse 2, And it shall come to pass in the last days, that's our day, when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it.
0: The word Utah was thought to be a Ute name for top of the mountains, but more accurately, it appears to be an Apache name meaning people of the mountains. Either way, the Lord's house or temple was established early on in the midst of the Rocky Mountains. Brigham Young put down his cane in the soil just four days after their arrival in the great Salt Lake Valley and said, here we will build a temple to our God. But please understand that this is not the only fulfillment of this prophecy. Every time we build a temple, and as of this podcast, there are 335 temples in various phases, including 188 dedicated temples, 52 currently under construction, and 95 others announced that are not yet under construction, then this prophecy is fulfilled over and over again. The mountain of the Lord's house refers to a temple. Mount Sinai, where God and Moses met, is a temple. The sacred grove, where Joseph and God met, is a temple. Mount Shalem, where the brother of Jared and God met, is a temple. When Nephi was caught unto an exceedingly high mountain and met with the spirit of God and an angel, that is a temple. When Isaiah sees the Lord in 2nd Nephi chapter 16 or Isaiah chapter 6, he is seeing him in the heavenly temple. When we go to the temple to perform his ordinances for our kindred dead, we are going to the mountain of the Lord.
1: Isn't it so very interesting that when Nephi and the righteous part of his extended family separated from his brothers Laman and Lemuel, what is almost the first thing he did? And I, Nephi, did build a temple, and I did construct it after the manner of the temple of Solomon. The pattern is clear. We build temples to draw close and stay close to the Lord. Blessings are poured out upon a temple-building people. The whole purpose of the gathering is to build a temple— The temple is like a portal between the worlds. It is the gateway to heaven. It is where we learn very specifically and precisely how to come back into the presence of our Father in heaven.
0: So that was a little exercise to get us warmed up to the Isaiah text. You know, Maureen, I always love to study the meanings of names, especially from the ancient world. Isaiah's name means, Jehovah is salvation. How fitting that a man who devoted his life to testifying of the saving power of the Messiah should also have a name that so testified. Many scholars believe that Isaiah's ministry took place between the years 740 and 700 BC, a mission of approximately 40 years. So this is about 100 to 140 years before Lehi and his family left Jerusalem. Nephi so loved and admired Isaiah. Let's put this in perspective for us in our day. Joseph Smith's ministry was from 1820 until 1844, which is a 24 year period. 100 years later for us would have been about the end of World War II. I just want you to see that Isaiah for Nephi was not someone long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. I remember interviewing my own grandfather, William Henry Facer, and Maureen, you remember this too, and I said, Grandpa, who is the first prophet that you can remember? And he said, Wilford Woodruff. My grandpa died when I was almost 32 years old. We have touched hands with those who have touched hands with those who laid the foundation of this work. Nephi's grandfather could have easily known Isaiah.
1: We learn in the first chapter of Isaiah that he, Isaiah, served as a prophet during the reign of several kings in Judah, including Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. We know that he had personal dealings with at least two of these kings. According to one ancient Jewish source, Isaiah's wife was a daughter of one of the kings of Judah, making Isaiah a member of the royal family by marriage. Isaiah's wife is called prophetess in Isaiah's record, suggesting that she too had the gift of revelation. Isaiah and his wife had at least two sons who served as signs to Israel, as did Isaiah and his wife themselves. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts. And that might be a new idea to people that people can be signs of the Lord. Isaiah stood as a type of God the Father. The prophetess was a type of Mary, the mother of Christ, and one of their sons was a type of Jesus Christ.
0: Maureen, like so many of the ancient prophets, according to Josephus, Isaiah was martyred for the faith. King Manasseh, who took rule at the early age of 12, reportedly put Isaiah in a hollow tree and had him sawed in half. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 37 may be an allusion to Isaiah's martyrdom. So let's go back to some of the keys to understanding Isaiah's words. The Book of Mormon gives us four keys to understanding Isaiah, which we must obtain and use for ourselves.
1: First, we've talked about having the spirit of prophecy. Second is to be righteous. Do not do works of darkness or doings of abominations. Righteousness brings the spirit, which increases understanding. And it's clear we have to have that spirit to understand this more difficult work. Third, live in the last days when they, Isaiah's prophecies, shall come to pass. For in that day shall they understand them. So we all have this one. We're living in the last days and we are told we will understand his words.
0: Fourth, of course, and the obvious one is that we need to make the effort to search, which implies mental and spiritual exertion. Jesus declared twice that we ought to search these things diligently, and Moroni added, search the prophecies of Isaiah, as we've mentioned above. The Book of Mormon itself is one of our best commentaries on the Book of Isaiah. As we've mentioned, nearly a third of the Book of Isaiah is quoted in the Book of Mormon, with changes in about half of those 433 verses. Several chapters and verses in the Book of Mormon provide inspired explanations and commentaries of Isaiah's writings. We see that in this week's studies, especially in 2 Nephi 25. And I always recommend studying the Joseph Smith translation, where Joseph gives new understanding and insights from his revelatory changes in more than 170 verses of Isaiah.
1: Nephi teaches us that we can better understand Isaiah if we understand the manner of prophesying among the Jews. This manner of prophesying included symbolism and poetic parallelism. Nephi also teaches us that it helps to be familiar with the regions round about Jerusalem. There are 106 different geographical place names in the book of Isaiah. I feel the same way about understanding the context of the Doctrine and Covenants. It helps us to understand the geography of church history. One last thing, let's be careful not to think that everything Isaiah teaches is only about ancient Israel. As we liken Isaiah's words and prophecies unto ourselves, we learn that much of what he talks about is our day, right now. And that's why Nephi included so many of his words in the sacred text of the Book of Mormon. The messages, teachings, doctrines, and warnings of the Book of Mormon are for us.
0: Putting some of these tools in place and trying to take Nephi's perspective, let's just sample a few of the scriptures from Isaiah that he included to help us rejoice in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We've mentioned Isaiah's wonderful prophecy of the last days in 2 Nephi 12, where temples will be built and all nations shall flow unto them. I love in verse 3 where many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, that's the temple as we've talked about, to the house of the God of Jacob. That's a covenant phrase reminding us of the Lord's promises to the house of Israel. And He will teach us of His ways. So, in the temple we will specifically learn His rites and ordinances, and we will walk in His paths. Remember, there is a straight and narrow path that leads to life eternal. For out of Zion shall go forth the law. This is the messages of the prophets and apostles from General Conference and other official publications of the church in our day, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This has multiple meanings, including the millennial kingdom of God on the earth, and at that time there will be two religious capitals of the kingdom of God, the headquarters of the church and kingdom in Independence, Missouri, called the center stake of Zion, and the other center in the ancient city of Jerusalem.
1: President Harold B. Lee wrote, I have often wondered what the expression meant, that out of Zion shall go forth the law. Years ago, I went with the brethren to the Idaho Falls Temple, and I heard in that inspired prayer of the first Presidency a definition of the meaning of that term, out of Zion shall go forth the law. Note what they said: We thank Thee that Thou hast revealed to us that those who gave us our constitutional form of government were men wise in Thy sight and that thou didst raise them up for the very purpose of putting forth that sacred document, as revealed in Doctrine and Covenants section 101. We pray that kings and rulers and the peoples of all nations under heaven may be persuaded of the blessings enjoyed by the people of this land by reason of their freedom and under thy guidance, and be constrained to adopt similar governmental systems, thus to fulfill the ancient prophecy of Isaiah and Micah, that out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem.
0: As we turn to the next chapter, 2 Nephi 13, which is Isaiah chapter 3, we get a stern warning just as the people of Judah and Jerusalem in ancient times that unless we are obedient to God's laws and commandments, we will suffer the curses and judgments of God. In 2 Nephi 14, which is Isaiah 4, we see the blessings that come to those who survive the judgments of God. We see that God's people are centered in temple worship. And as we center our lives in the temple, we center our hearts in the Lord Jesus Christ and His atoning sacrifice.
1: And Scott, it's so interesting to note that when the angel Moroni visited the 17 and a half year old Joseph Smith in September of 1823, he quoted two verses from this fourth chapter of Isaiah. Let's look at those. He quoted verses 5 and 6. And the Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion, and upon her assemblies, a cloud and smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory of Zion shall be a defense, and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat, and for a place of refuge, and covered from storm and from rain. Moroni I promised Joseph that this prophecy would soon be fulfilled.
0: This is just too significant to not explore a little deeper. When Isaiah talks about every dwelling place of Mount Zion, he is talking about the homes of individual faithful members of the church, and he compares these homes to the temple. In other words, the faithful and true to the Lord will create homes that are like unto a temple for their families. And he goes further by referring to the ancient symbols of cloud and smoke and fire. In ancient Israel, these were key words for the divine Shekinah, the actual presence of God.
1: That's right, Scott. Remember we talked about Sinai being a temple, and God appeared to Moses and he was accompanied by a cloud and smoke and fire? This is not only a symbol of God's presence, but of his protection. These are all part of the great covenants of the Lord to his covenant keepers.
0: Can you see why Nephi would rejoice in the words of Isaiah, as he had come out of a wicked Jerusalem who had turned away from the Lord and lost the divine Shekinah from that first temple? And now Isaiah promises God's presence and protection upon every dwelling place, every home of the faithful. And, Maureen, those same elements of a cloud and smoke and fire were associated with Solomon's temple, which is the temple Lehi and Nephi knew before it had become corrupted, and the temple in heaven. The cloud symbolizes the Lord's glory. I feel to rejoice with Nephi and Christ's promises to the faithful. I want to be as faithful as possible in obtaining these same blessings.
1: And we're also reminded of that covenant protection of the Lord, where it says, in the end of verse 5, the glory of Zion shall be a defense. The word defense can also be translated more perfectly as canopy or protective covering, and this means that Zion and her inhabitants will be protected by God from spiritual harm the same way that individuals are protected from physical harm by seeking shelter during the heat of the day or in great storms. Nephi is assuring us that God will be with the faithful. He will protect them in every circumstance. His covenant blessings will be upon all the inhabitants of Zion. Nephi is again rejoicing in Christ through the words of Isaiah.
0: Let's look at the last five verses of Second Nephi chapter 15. You're familiar with them. Here Isaiah prophesies in verse 26, And he will lift up an ensign to the nations from far, and will hiss unto them from the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. None shall be weary nor stumble among them. God will raise, and is now raising, an ensign, a flag, a signal to the nations of the earth. That ensign is the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and it waves to all the world. The word hiss can also be translated as whistle, a signal to all the ends of the earth to gather scattered Israel from among all nations. Remember, his sheep hear His voice, and the gospel message will come, signalized unto them by this hiss or whistle or even by a trumpet. This can come by the voice of the Spirit, by the voice of His humble servants, by the voice of the prophets and apostles, by the voice of the Book of Mormon itself. The Book of Mormon is an ensign to all nations.
1: That's right, Scott. In fact, we learn in 3 Nephi chapter 29, verse 1, that when the Lord sends forth the Book of Mormon to the Gentiles, this is a signal, and we can know that the covenant which the Father had made with the children of Israel concerning their restoration to the lands of their inheritance is already beginning to be fulfilled. And also, it's a sure signal, assuring us that the words of the Lord, which have been spoken by the holy prophets, shall all be fulfilled. Remember, one of the purposes of the Book of Mormon is to show that the Lord never forgets His covenants. Nephi uses Isaiah as another witness that this is all true, and it causes him to rejoice in Christ and His joyous and perfect plan.
0: 2 Nephi chapter 16 documents the vision of Isaiah as he sees the Lord in his heavenly temple. Isaiah gives his witness of Jesus Christ and declares, mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is when Isaiah receives his own mission call to call the people to repentance. This mission will last more than 40 years. Isaiah recorded, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Does this question sound familiar? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. This is also familiar language to us from the premortal world.
1: In the next chapter, 2 Nephi 17, we see the great messianic prophecy we all know. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This scripture proclaims a great miracle this virgin, the same virgin that Nephi earlier described as most beautiful and fair above all other virgins, who conceives and gives birth to this most glorious Son of the Most High God. You can understand how Nephi, who has been cast out from among his brethren, and also from his homeland of Jerusalem, would rejoice in this most joyous and wonderful prophecy of the miraculous birth of Jesus Christ.
0: And Maureen, as we are all rejoicing in Christ together, I have to point out a wonderful insight from the very next chapter of Isaiah, Second Nephi chapter 18. Look in verse 13, it reads, Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself, and let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. A literal translation of this from the Hebrew Bible would more accurately read, Make him a temple, the Lord of hosts, meaning, let the Lord be your temple, your place of holiness. And to fear the Lord is to honor, revere, trust, and obey him. So Nephi and Isaiah are saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, and make him your secure place of holiness, your own temple. I do love that admonition. Isn't that nice?
1: Then we come to 2 Nephi chapter 19, where we see that the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. And what is that great light? It is the coming of the Savior and Redeemer of the world. It is Jesus Christ, the true Messiah, the Anointed One, the Holy One of Israel. Again, Nephi is rejoicing in Christ and is showing and teaching his children these great prophecies of Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder— and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It's hard not to sing that verse.
0: This actually brings us to two points. The first one is the prophetic son of Isaiah, who is mentioned in 2 Nephi 18.3, and his name is Meher Shalal Hashbaz. That's quite a name. I always like to think that he may have just gone by Bazi. I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> and I think you're probably kidding when you talk about that we should have named one of our children the I am same catchy name.
0: Definitely kidding about that. Maher Shalal Hashbaz is a type of Jesus Christ. Both Maher Shalal Hashbaz and Christ possess prophetic names. The name Maher Shalal Hashbaz has four parts, similar to the four titles of Jesus that we just read. Both were named by revelation from God and both entered the world during times of political upheaval and warfare. Mahershal al-Hashbaz prophesied the manner in which Israel would be speedily destroyed and then plundered. Likewise, Jesus Christ will come down to judge the world and speedily destroy those who are wicked. Jewish tradition holds that the prophetess belonged to a royal line, as we mentioned. If this is indeed true, then Maher Shalal Hashbaz was of royal lineage, as was Jesus Christ.
1: In fact, let's go back briefly to those four names referring to Jesus Christ that we read in 2 Nephi 19. This is our second point. Wonderful Counselor. The Hebrew reading requires these two names to be read together as Wonderful Counselor. The Messiah will be an advisor, counselor, or perhaps one who argues cases in court. The Lord standeth up to plead, and standeth to judge the people. Through his intercessory prayer, Jesus serves as our mediator and advocate with the Father. So remember, it's wonderful counselor.
0: And mighty God really could be translated as warrior God. The great Jehovah overcomes all wicked nations and all forms of oppression. This refers again to the powerful covenant God makes with his faithful children. He will protect them, watch over them. He has indeed overcome all things. He has even overcome the world. And he provides the covenant path for us to overcome the world as well. Can you see why Nephi would rejoice in Christ with this fact alone?
1: Jesus is called the everlasting father. The term father is used in at least four different ways in the scriptures when referring to deity. One is Father as a literal parent. God, the Eternal Father, is the literal Father of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The second term of Father is as Creator, as in the Father of the heavens and the earth and all things that in them are. The third use of the term of Jesus Christ as Father is Father of those who abide in His gospel. We are born again as we accept and keep His commandments and ordinances and He becomes our spiritual Father.
0: And the fourth use of Father is by divine investiture of authority. Jesus perfectly represents and is authorized to represent our Heavenly Father in all things with power and authority and might and wisdom. He and the Father are one, and He speaks for the Father by this divine investiture of authority. So, everlasting Father is a perfect title for Jesus Christ, the Son of God.
1: The last title Isaiah uses is Prince of Peace. Christ is part of God's royal family. He is a prince who shares the throne with the Father and who serves as king of kings over a kingdom of kings and priests or righteous saints. He is the Prince of Peace and God of love and peace who eliminates war and contention and reigns over a peaceful kingdom. The title Prince of Peace perfectly befits our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ.
0: With just these first few references we've discussed in the Isaiah chapters of the Book of Mormon, can you see clearly now why Nephi would exuberantly write, And we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies, that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Oh, how we all rejoice in Christ! Can you imagine when we see him again someday? We will only be able to fall down upon our knees and bow before him with gratitude and joy beyond description. We truly do rejoice in Jesus Christ.
1: That's all we have time for today. The Isaiah chapters are much deeper and more fun than we ever supposed. We could go on for weeks on this material. We can't do that, but you can. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks to Paul Cardall, who provides the music, and thanks to our daughter, Michaela Proctor Hutchins, who edits and produces these podcasts each week. Don't forget to lend your support to our voluntary subscription drive at ladderdaysaintmagcom forward slash subscribe. That's com forward slash subscribe. Next week, our lesson will cover 2 Nephi chapters 20 through 25 in a lesson entitled, We Rejoice in Christ. Thanks for listening. We love you. Have a great week.